Hello and welcome to Scottish Independence Podcasts. I'm Fiona McGregor and with my co-host Marlene Halliday, we're looking forward to learning all about Freeports. And this is sort of a two-parter following on from our previous look at ferries. So we've delighted to have the same guests. We've got Professor Alf Baird and from Yes Orkney, we've got Georgie Sanderson and Mike Robertson. At the back of my head, I just have a an ongoing assumption that freeports are really not a very good idea from the point of view of helping the local economy. But then I read things and that says the opposite. So I just don't know. My suspicion is that they're good if you want to evade taxes or if you're a pirate. But that's very ill-informed. So I'm hoping by the end of this programme to be much better informed. Okay, well, let's find out what everybody else thinks. And we're going to start with John Swinney, who sets out why the Scottish government decided to go ahead with, well, green ports, they're calling them, and we'll we'll get underneath that a little bit as we go along. Then we've got Alf telling us his perspective, and we also have Craig DL from Part of a Conversation, which is another one of our podcasts, and we'll give you the link to that in the notes. When the Minister for Business, Trade, Enterprise and Tourism announced our cooperation with the UK Government on Green Freeports to Parliament last February, he explained how we had negotiated a distinctively Scottish approach, bringing our own Green Freeports model to modify the English Freeports approach to suit Scotland's needs and priorities. In particular, he emphasised how the approach would give top priority to regeneration and high-quality job creation, would support our journey to net zero and would embed our fair work agenda at its very heart. The competition we launched jointly last March on the basis of a detailed prospectus embodied that approach and the outcome of the competition amply justified it. Taken together, the two winning bids from the Firth of Forth and Inverness and Cromarty Firth aspired to create some 75,000 new high-skilled well-paid jobs to bring forward nearly £11 billion in private and public investment, to deliver a significant enhancement of our offshore wind manufacturing capacity, to advance alternative fuel production, including green hydrogen, and to promote innovation and trade across multiple sectors. So let's start with our first guest, Dr Alf Baird, who is a Professor of Maritime Business. If anybody knows what a Freeport is, he will. What's a Freeport? Why are they meant to be a good thing? My PhD is in container shipping, so I studied container ports around the world, and quite a lot of them were Freeports, and particularly transshipment ports. So that's ports that bring cargo in, they add value to it, and then they re-export it. It's not cargo for the domestic market. Take Singapore as an example. Singapore is a Freeport as well. Goods come in from multinational companies. They're stored in the port. They maybe add value to them. Uh, packaging, reprocessing, and then they re-export to another country. So it's not; f- these are g- not goods for Singapore necessarily. They're goods for somewhere else. The goods come in tax-free. There's 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 tax allowances for investment there, and then they re-export the goods. The benefit you get for the port is the port grows its volume, its traffic, so it gives the national economy connectivity to global markets, so it can boost its own national economy. Fourth ports don't need this model because we're not a transshipment port on the 4th, yeah. or in Cromarty. Yeah. 
they're not yeah. transshipping. They're not bringing goods in from, say, Asia and then distributing distributing them to Bal the Baltic countries, for example. That would be transshipment. This freeport idea or green freeports is not about growing trade necessarily. I think it is about tax haven status, as it were. And I think it's maybe linked to two things. One is Brexit, which has knackered the UK economy and trade. It's killed off trade, quite a lot of trade. And the second thing I think is the UK expects probably to lose more of its crown dependencies in future. These offshore tax havens, mm -hmm. as they become uh, independent republics, they, they become non, they're not crown dependencies anymore. So you can't use them as a tax haven. And the yeah. commission, obviously, that was one of the reasons I think we had Brexit as well, was about London's love of these offshore tax havens. Yeah. I think the idea here is a very crude Tory mechanism to try to develop the UK as a tax haven. And that won't be good necessarily for, for anybody here uh, because most of the offshore tax uh, interests already exploit Scotland. Scotland is plundered just like any colony. It's energy, it's lands, it's resources. Everything is sucked out at low price and sold back to us high. <laughs> okay, so we've got the government we've got, right, and we know what they're like. So maybe, yeah, they're, they're after making Britain into a, you know, a tax haven. But, I mean, are there any real genuine advantages to a country to have free ports? I mean, is there a genuine advantage for Singapore? Yes, I would say so. You've got to remember, Singapore handles, I think, more than 30 million containers a year handles more trade by value than Britain. It's in that strategic position as well, isn't it? It's, yeah, between but East one and of West the projects I was working on here was to develop a container transshipment hub in Orkney. Yeah. Which would, yeah. would, would gather the, the ships coming transatlantic through the Pentland mm. Firth to the Baltic and to Hamburg and so on as they go across the Atlantic to Canada, to the US, to the Caribbean, South America and so on. And we had a lot of interest from companies that would have liked to use Orkney as a distribution centre for the Baltic states, for yeah. others, you know, you could see this in things like uh, seafood, in foods and drinks and so whiskey, obviously, <laughs> Guinness even. There was quite a lot of cargoes and, uh, and car parts and other things that you could store here and add value to and then re-export for other mm. markets. Orkney is a small economy. Orkney couldn't sustain a container hub on its own. It has to be for transshipment. Yeah. And so therefore, what Highlands and Islands Enterprise were keen on was extending this, the Freeport idea for Orkney to maybe Caithness, so you could have the Highlands feeding into this with some employment there, especially in things like seafood processing and other goods. Mm -hmm. uh, and that way you could develop a lot more trade. And as I say, that's, that's what gives Singapore and other countries, other small places, or even Dubai, <laughs> uh, enormous trade clout with its value of trade. With Orkney, what I estimated was it would be quite easy with a modest container port and free port here to double Scotland's trade by value, just with a small port here. If you double it by value, do you also double revenue? Is there a revenue benefit well, to the to Scottish government? Yes, there would, be, there would be some benefits, but I think the, the, the other key thing here is it puts Scotland on the global map to some extent. It makes inward investment a bit easier if you've got global connectivity on your doorstep. It okay. makes yeah. brings in a lot of interest from outside interests that, that, that can develop commercial activities in that host economy. Would they be paying tax to Westminster or Holyrood, though? Who, who's benefiting uh, it from it? depends if we're independent. <laughs> uh, ah. the, 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 the blockage to the container port idea in Orkney was from the UK government. 
From the council, we had uh, the harvest department were working on this for a, a couple of years and developed a project, got the, the, the project through almost through planning and everything, also attracted an investor to operate the terminal. Wow. So we had we had moved ahead that far. And I actually had prepared the European application for wow. funding because this this port project would also have benefited Europe. Yeah. On, and it was part of the it was part of the trans European networks. What we calculated it would save a large amount in, in emissions, ship emissions, because transshipment here was going to reduce emissions overall yeah. Yeah. and reduce pressure on the congested hubs, Rotterdam, Hamburg, Bremen. Those ports were full and they yeah. couldn't handle any more. Plus we had the natural deep water in Orkney, so we had no need to dredge for the biggest mm -hmm. ships to come in here. No dredging, whereas all these river ports in Rotterdam, Hamburg, so Antwerp, they're all shallow. London, yeah. they're all extremely shallow. Yeah. They've got yeah, dredging, yeah. dredging yeah. vessels permanently stationed there, and this is costing billions just to dredge rivers. So is this so, another one on the shelf for when we're independent? Yeah, so there was a whole range of additional benefits of Orkney. It wasn't just about money. It was about environment and about improving competitiveness, overcoming the bottlenecks, overcoming all the congestion costs of shipping and all the extra pollution you get from ships queuing up outside Hamburg yeah. and Rotterdam yeah. and London. Yeah. So you've got queues of ships outside there that wait yeah. on a berth because the berths are difficult to get. So this was about alleviating the pressure on the hubs. Mm. There's a whole range of issues, but it would have put Scotland on the global map. It would mm. have culturally been an enormous benefit i think to give us that connectivity again uh that we don't have we don't yeah. have we're, we're yeah. out of the game internationally did london actually have a come up with a you know a reason apart from being bloody minded but what london was doing was pushing all the emphasis on container ports in the south of england um, not in Scotland. that's where they wanted development this concept of the the green port then for scotland it's not a container port because you've yeah. just explained that. So what is the green element of it and who benefits from that? Yeah, it's just a soundbite, a label. And, and I think it's only there because these ports, the Forth and Cromarty, will support the installation of the, the, the offshore wind farms. And that's right. what they're huh. about. They're not about creating trade. They're about actually exporting trade value cheap. <laughs> So the big beneficiaries, apart from the, fort, the ports, are going to be the international energy companies that are fleecing Scotland anyway. So we're, it's actually something that's going to lose us. Yeah, we, we get no benefit from this whatsoever. It's renewable energy that's already being uh, stripped out of Scotland, plundered, and that's, that's the reality. We get no benefit. It won't create trade uh, as such. You're only going to be importing more jackets for the, the turbines and more turbines. And once that's finished, all these ports are going to do is service the wind farms. And here's Dr Craig DL from Commonweal. Scotland's now going to be host to two new green free ports, one of which is in Cromarty, one of which is in Forth. These free ports are, are not just a couple of warehouses down by the harbour side. They cover, cover zones up to 45 kilometres away from that harbour, which means that places as far away from Edinburgh as Bigger and Carluke and Motherwell are now within the fourth freeport zone. And any company in these zones who wants a tax break can sign up to its conditions. That's no way to run an economy, no way to run international trade. Freeports don't work, they never have. She's saying freeport simply a means for UK government to retain a foothold in Scotland. 
Uh, the investment is minuscule, 26 million over two years for each Greenport small potatoes. I'd say less a, less a foothold and more an influence. They're, they're certainly stamping their mark down um, because the entire purpose of, of Freeport is to lift government control away. These are there are enclaves where um, you're not checking the taxes, you're not checking the regulations, you're, you're explicitly saying regulations will be will be reduced. Possibly reducing the means by which you're you're checking to see if they're complying with the regulations that remain. So they all said they were terrible, didn't they? Were well, my they, right? Am I yeah, right? pretty much. For pirates and tax evaders. Pirates and tax evaders do seem to be the main beneficiaries, which does um, beg the question, well, maybe it answers the question, why do Tories like them so much? Oh, yeah. Um, we may be being a bit unfair on Tories, actually. That's uh, No, no, we're not. But it is interesting because the UK has had them before, introduced by uh, Margaret Thatcher in 84, and they were abandoned by Cameron in 2012 because they didn't work. They weren't adding anything to trade. I didn't even know that we had Freeport. I mean, I was alive during all that time. And mm, it's no. a long time before they decided to, Cameron decided to um, get rid of them, isn't it? And then it's only 10 years, well, 11 years now, since they were abandoned. So why are we bringing them back again? And it, it does seem to be that Truss was very much in favour of them, although we know what happened to her plans, but so soon. Oh, but now, that's not fair. Now, Liz Truss had some, had some very keen economic ideas, didn't she? Just the not for this planet. <laughs> <laughs> What's quite interesting, have you got something that's basically a Tory project that's been brought in, abandoned and then resurrected by the Tories? Why is the SNP cooperating, is my question. Well, there was some discussion at the SNP's 2021 conference where they came up with six tests they wanted before they would support the proposal. All businesses operating within the Freeport area must pay the real living wage and abide by fair work practices. Trade union recognition is mandatory. There must be sufficient financial investment into local government to allow them to carry out required services within Freeport zones. Seems wow. reasonable. All businesses must work in alignment with achieving the Scottish government's net zero targets. Local businesses must be fully compensated if they are negatively affected by Freeport operation. That's an interesting one. And all relevant health and safety, environmental and legal enforcement controls, etc., provided by the relevant agencies must be in place. That all sounds highly laudable, doesn't it? Perfectly reasonable. So that's the first time I've seen that list of six requirements. Is that going to make the two now agreed Scottish free ports, will that make them significantly different from the ones in the rest of the UK? Do, do we know that? The implication is that they do make them different because John Swinney, when he was doing his ministerial statement about which two had been chosen, on addressing the concerns that he knows people have raised about Freeports. And okay. one of the, I think in that he does say that they've negotiated a distinctively Scottish approach. So this, this term green Freeport, that's a term that the Scottish government is using to describe 
Freeports under those six requirements. Okay. That's right. Whether that's um, genuinely different or greenwashing, we'll come on to. But at the moment, that that is the distinction they make. What we're going to play now is the way that Holyrood has tried to implement those six tests, I guess. So we've got a little clip from back in February 22, Ivan McKee explaining how the process was going to work to do the selection. And then we've got John Swinney addressing concerns that he knows people have raised. But then we have Ross Greer. And this is one area that is excluded from the Butte House Agreement. Um, that's the Butte House Agreement between the SNP and the Scottish Green Party. Yeah. yeah. So this is an area that's excluded from that. And if you listen to Ross Greer's view, you can see why their views are just miles apart. To ask the Scottish Government how it will apply fair work and net zero criteria to the Freeport developments with the UK Government. Minister Ivan McKee. Uh, fair work and net zero are central to, to our ambition for Scotland's green ports. We will apply fair work and net zero criteria at three stages of the process. Currently, we are finalising the prospectus for applicants and will ensure this, that is clear about the Scottish Government's expectations in respect of fair work and net zero. We will scrutinise all bids for evidence of a commitment to embedding fair work practices, including payment of the real living wage and pursuing robust decarbonisation plans, and following designation, strict governance and rigorous monitoring and evaluation will ensure ongoing compliance on these key priorities and across a whole range of other aspects where we are very sure and determined that successful Greenport bids will comply to all required uh, regulation, including, as I say, um, payment of the real living wage delivering on the net, uh, the, the net zero aspirations and uh, supporting fair work practices. Applications which do not meet these high standards will not succeed. Julie Mackay. I thank the Minister for that answer. Could the Minister confirm that if companies were not to provide the living wage or not to recognise trade unions, for example, that they would be ineligible for support? Minister. Uh, we see this as a real opportunity to move forward our conditionality agenda, um, and the member will, will know, because this uh, is part of the Butte House Agreement with the Greens, that we in, intend and are very keen on something I am very committed to, um, rolling out conditionality on fair work and real living wage um, to as many businesses as possible across Scotland in terms of the support we provide, and Greenports are no exception. Um, Scottish Government is very clear that fair work and payment of the real living wage um, is a requirement for us supporting any businesses within, uh, within Greenport designation. Areas. Finally, President Officer, I want to acknowledge and address some of the concerns that have previously been expressed by members about Freeports more generally. As my ministerial colleagues and I have said before in this chamber, we are well aware of the mixed views and reputation of some Freeports elsewhere in the world. We understand the critical importance of protecting workers' conditions and rights. We understand worries about potential displacement of economic activity from elsewhere. And we understand concerns about deregulation and potential illicit activity. So we have sought to address them in the approach we have negotiated with the United Kingdom Government. First, we required bidders to commit to the principles of fair work, including payment of the real living wage and effective workers' voice, and to outline how they proposed to embed them across the green freeports. Both of the winning bidders offered firm commitments on this. We will pursue those commitments with them in more detail as we move from initial decisions to the business case phase and onwards to funding and delivery, and we will hold them to their commitments as we monitor progress on the ground. Second, we will require the successful bidders to develop and report on their plans to monitor, mitigate and report on any potential displacement of economic activity. And finally, 
The Green Free Ports will be required to adhere to the OECD Code of Conduct for Clean Free Trade Zones to comply with tough UK regulations preventing money laundering and to establish and share with enforcement agencies a register of all businesses operating within the tax sites. The operators of any custom sites will require prior authorisations by His Majesty's Revenue and Customs. And all of the activities of the Green, ports, the Green Free Ports will be subject to close monitoring and evaluation. So I am confident that the significant economic potential of the two Green Free Ports will be accompanied by high standards of governance, transparency and enforcement. Thank you. There is nothing green about Freeports. There are many tax havens. The EU found that they attracted money laundering, smuggling and other criminal activities. And the last time the UK tried them, it only increased regional inequality. And whilst there are lots of warm words about fair work and net zero, I can't yet see any hard legal requirements binding these Freeports to the grand promises that they've made. I acknowledge that the government has tried to address the concerns that the Scottish Greens hold. But can I ask, will the Scottish Government act to remove Freeport status from either operator if it breaks the commitments it's made on workers' rights and environmental protection? Cabinet Secretary. Uh, yes, the Government will act in that fashion. Um, so we are, we are serious about the points that have been advanced. Uh, obviously, I will try hard over the period ahead to persuade Mr, Mr Greer of the merits of the steps that we are taking, but I do assure him that we will act to protect the, um, to, to protect the commitments that have been built into the Green Freeport concept. Clearly not all in agreement. So we've heard from several different voices already and very, very different views. There's some peculiarities that are starting to emerge as people turn their attention to Freeports that are not included in those six tests. And I haven't heard mentioned at all yet by any of the ministers involved. So the first one of those is a really interesting one. You know, all the fuss that we hear about how could we have an independent Scotland that would put a border between England and Scotland? Well, it turns out that free ports are essentially small custom zones. So 10 free ports is 10 additional internal customs borders within the UK. Okay. The idea of a free port is you create this zone where you can import components, turn them into goods and then export them without paying the import tariffs or any export tariffs. But if the good leaves the free port and comes into your domestic economy, then it has to pay the tariffs. So you create a customs border around the free port. Now, a traditional free port would be a chained off zone in the harbour or at the airport where you did all this kind of thing. But in the, the UK's free port model, you have this vast zone and companies in the free port zone can be located within, you know, anywhere within it. So you could have, hypothetically, Components coming into uh, Rosyth and being trucked to bigger to be turned into something and then trucked back to Rosyth to be exported. don't know what kind of good you would want to do that with. But how do you then say, right, well, we've made the thing and made the widget and bigger. Can we not just send it over to Hamilton instead? Nobody's really watching, are they? You have end up with this very complex, very porous customs border that is absolutely impossible to 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 regulate. Um, so there's the potential of, of vast amount of tax fraud and regulation fraud happening out of that. Yes, it does paint the people who are saying putting up a border in, uh, because of independence as a terrible thing, as, as 
you know, some at least somewhat hypocritical if they are then carving out micro chunks of the UK and turning each one of those warehouses into its own customs border. Um, we will just have to see how these free ports actually work out because even the regulations that cover them are still extremely vague. I mean, how is that going to work when there's trade borders within the country or does it not matter? Are they, will they be policed at all? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. When I first went, went into shipping, it was 1974 and it was the year after we entered the, the European Union. And, and the, the, the transit forms that we had for cargo going from, I was dealing with container ships going from Leith to Denmark and to, to Holland and so on. And the transit documentation, everything was very, very simple. It was simplified. So it just eased the flow of trade to some extent. Uh, so we're now out of that game. So trade becomes more problematic. Trade becomes more and more difficult. The other problem we had going back then is we, we didn't invest in port infrastructure. So we lost all that shipping activity was lost from the 70s on. And then you just had constant recessions anyway as part of the UK model. Scotland's uh, economy just really was continually collapsing. Uh, and we, I think the problem we've had in the last 20 years is zero growth, pretty much zero growth. Our trade is potentially really good, but we don't get the real value of it. We don't get the value of the oil, the gas, the electricity, we don't yeah. get the value of the yeah. whiskey, really. We don't yeah. get the value of the grouse estates. We don't get the value of all the infrastructure. All our assets have been sold off, all our utilities, the ports, the airports, energy companies. Scotland is just uh, an economic, it's like an underdeveloped colony. That's what it's been left at, assets stripped, plundered. And that's why half the people live in are close to poverty, because we don't have access to our resources. Colonial reality, the imperial power, uh, just plunders. That's complicated. Isn't it? And it gets even more complicated when you think, well, how do you know what the border of a free port is? And there's a few other details as well that are coming to light. Now, these were discussed in Craig's Commonweal Policy Podcast. He had Richard Murphy on as a guest and would definitely recommend you listen to that whole episode. It's very good. We'll link to it in the notes. But I've just captured about four minutes of the discussion what some of those other conditions are. The evidence is incredibly strong that free ports do not create new jobs. What we will see is that Forth and Cromarty up and running as free ports we may well see some jobs move from elsewhere in Scotland into those free ports. Will there be any net new jobs as a result? The evidence for that is very low. We will see an increase in the complication of regulation. I know that. I'm a chartered accountant and I look at tax regulation and there are whole new tables of tax data that now exist inside our tax system to manage the taxes due by employees working in free ports because they have different rates of national insurance. We are offering lower rates of tax to employers in particular who are employing people inside free ports. These things are not simple geographic areas drawn around a port. Yeah, you can't just say, oh, there's the port, and we'll say that the boundary of the port is where the free port ends. Free ports can actually cover a very large geographic area. And they can be little isolated warehouses spread right across that whole geographic area. Now, that's significant. 
Because if we can't identify where the borders are, and yet taxes change on that border, how do we know we can stop abuse within the border and outside the border? And how do we know that an employer is correctly saying, oh, I'm employing this person within the free port, when actually they could be employing them outside the free port? And what do you do about the person who drives the truck that moves the items into the free port and then out again? Are they employed in the free port? Or are they employed outside the freeport? People might have noticed the Ferrari about the dredging that is going on around the freeport, again in the northeast of England, where very large numbers of shellfish and other types of fish uh, appear to be being, well, literally killed by the process of dredging, where toxic chemicals are being released. Once the central locus has been decided for these freeports, Companies, I think, up to 45 kilometres away from that locust can apply to be part of the Freeport. What's your understanding about the green bit? Greenwashing, I think, is the only thing we can honestly say. What can be green about making products which increase consumption inside a location where it is deliberately designed that the return to capital will be higher, the return to labour will be lower, and, and the environment will be abused to achieve this outcome. I don't see how that can ever be considered to be green. One of the things that they're touting these, these green free ports for is the, the construction of renewable energy, uh, so wind turbines. But if the idea of a freeport is it allows you to import components, build things, and then export the fin- final goods without having to bother about tax and regulation, then the corollary of that is exporting wind turbines might be a good thing for Scotland. But it also means that you can't use those wind turbines in Scotland without having to then negotiate bringing the goods into the the, the real economy. So. Is it really benefiting Scottish renewable sector to be building wind turbines that you're not allowed to use in Scotland? You know, somebody's got to make up the taxes that aren't paid. And actually, some of those taxes that aren't going to be paid are actually local authority taxes, because Mm -hmm. there are also reduced business taxes, council equivalents of business taxes. And who's going to make good those? Who's making good the loss of revenues potentially to the Scottish government? complicated isn't it it is i didn't think the six questions fitted those very well at all because it's talking about making up damage that local businesses around the freeport might suffer because trade is happening inside the freeport that they would otherwise have presumably but it's not talking about taxes local rates and things and business taxes that's not included in those six points it's not even mentioned does it not um, follow from those six points that if it's going to be put into place then um scottish government will be will be following up or not or or am i just being naive well i mean it should be but i didn't hear it mentioned in any of the discussion that john swinney had or that Ivory McKee had. They talk about fair wages, which is fine. They talk about environmental controls, but they didn't talk about things like, I mean, just the day-to-day complexities of how do you know what tax rate somebody should be paying? And when you think about that 45-kilometre border around Fourth Ports, I'm in that. It <laughs> could be that one of the businesses in my local high street might decide to apply to be part of the Freeport. So they'd be paying a different rate of tax to everybody else in the street. I mean, if you've got one guy in your high street and he's part of the Freeport, the other guys in your high street are losing out. 
But maybe only because he's paying less um, uh, uh, business tax or something. So you'd think that would be covered by those six points, but it would be terribly complicated. Maybe, you know, in the process of setting it up, it will be much more much more of a tighter enclave than that. But if, if it can include individual warehouses, though, essentially you've got a customs board around each one of those warehouses. Yeah, so you might have one sitting in Livingston, Bigger was the other example, you know, Motherwell, all these places. Um, and the idea that goods come in, get something added to them and go out again and they're treated as if they've not come into the country, who's checking to make sure that they're not? Because that yeah. all those little boundaries are going to be porous. There, there are bonded warehouses all over the country with barrels of whiskey in them, aren't they? I mean... Yeah, they must have some sort of experience of dealing with it, but it's going to need a lot of thought to get it right, and and presumably more people to apply mm -hmm. it. And the other thing that struck me is that lower tax and lower NI because they're benefits to the businesses. Now, who's one of the biggest businesses that's going to benefit from that? BP. What's one company that is rolling in money right now because of the cost of living and fuel? Uh, BP. Yeah. But they're going yeah. to be putting their hydrogen. Uh, stuff I think in the northeast of England, Teesside, around there, um, that's going to become a big BP centre. Now, but are they, is that going to be within a Freeport? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So BP is going to be paying less tax and lower rates of NI. People who work for BP are going to be paying less tax and lower rates of NI. So people might go and live in those places, which is you know probably somewhere like Teesside. It's probably good. Teesside lost a huge amount of workforce when all the industry was taken away. Yeah. But fourth ports, you know, dragging people into the Edinburgh area, really. But so, okay, so those people go there for those jobs, but they're not living. No. I mean, they're not like their schools and their swimming pools and their sewage thing are not all taken care of within that free port. Mm. They're taken care of by the local authority, aren't they? Yeah. But that local authority is not getting the income right. from from the from that tax and we haven't seen regulations so we don't know exactly how they're going to work it, it seems to be a lot more complicated than yeah. anything we're hearing from our government even just yeah. now it wasn't as complicated as that few thousand years back was it when Orkney was the center of the all that trade that went by the trading and, world you know it's kind of got so complicated these days so so far we've still got a lot of unanswered questions and we've still got differences of views as to whether they're good or not um, yeah. bids came in from various projects around Scotland including Greenock there was bids from Aberdeen there was bids from Orkney so we wondered how our Orkney guests were feeling about the, the fact they didn't they weren't successful in the bid you know Are you guys happy that the green freeport bid failed or do you think it should have succeeded? You just get so many different views about whether these are good things. Yeah, everybody seems annoyed when they don't get one, but at the same time, they hate them. I'm, I'm in two minds, I must say. I'm not, I'm not sure about the, the name Greenport, but the idea that a Freeport can generate, um, generate more uh, jobs and everything is obviously very attractive, but it also attracts a lot of other things that you don't want. Mm. And so I really can't say that I've made up mind on, on that. I think from what little I've gathered, freeports generally haven't been a good idea wherever they've been set up. They mm -hmm. do give a boost in the short term, but in the long term, they just add a lot of problems. And uh, 
mainly because uh, there is no control over what happens inside them. Yeah. But uh, it becomes, uh, I mean, it's like something uh, of uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, uh, where we're, you know, there's no regulation. They get round tax, having to pay tax, and they don't have to follow health and safety legislation, and they don't even have to answer any questions just about what they're doing there. So I would be very wary of it. I, I believe that regulation is necessary when it's something that's not in the interests of the shareholder. Uh, that means things like health and safety and pollution yeah. and so on. And that um, a free port is asking for trouble. And to call them green ports is just, to my mind, greenwashing. And that uh, like the, the thought that um, you can tie the free port in with some sort of green uh, efforts or projects would happen up until the point that they won the contract and then it would disappear. And again, I go back to Orkney, who recently missed out on having a green port. They have very ambitious harbour re redevelopment plans for renewable production. These plans need to be realised in order that Scotland meets its climate targets. And I would welcome reassurance on this point that they will be assisted to develop those harbours. Obviously, I, I, I empathise with the, the bids that have been unsuccessful. Uh, the Minister for Business will be in Orkney on uh, tomorrow and Friday um, to uh, sign the island's growth deal, so obviously uh, Orkney will be benefiting from that. And there's some elements of the proposal emerging from Orkney around about Scapa Flow, which I think um, contains some interesting possibilities for further development, and we will, of course, continue a dialogue with Orkney Islands Council in that respect. Flotta, you asked about Flotta. Flotta is planned to become a hydrogen generating station using electricity coming from um, west of Orkney. And so that, that would then, I mean, it, it's a port already uh, handling tankers uh, so they can generate the hydrogen and put it onto tankers and ship it around the world. Who runs Flotta at the moment? The Chinese. It's a nationalised thing. It's, it belongs to the Chinese government, basically. I believe. Uh, really? Well, I think it's a Chinese, I think they've maybe got two big oil companies. It's one of them that bought Flotta off OM. Talisman that had it last. Do you know, this is like we were just talking to Alf the other day about, because Fourth Port's one of the successful bidders for the Green Ports. They're owned by Canadian teachers, pension funds and various offshore Aye. financial things. We own nothing. Absolutely. Yeah. And okay. free boats are just, well, greenwash, as Mike says, is being very kind. I was just grinning to myself when you said owned by the Chinese, because I don't know if you, either of you two are, are fans of Borgen. The you know Danish um, uh, yeah. political based one, and um, there was a new series a, a new series recently, and the whole the whole thing is about Greenland and the relationship with Denmark. But Greenland had been um, you know they've got this fantastic offer, but the offer comes from the, from a Chinese company to take over a port and then develop it. So when you said that, I thought, oh my God, we're going to have we're going to have that Borgen kind of, um, you know, <laughs> script writing, but it'll all be happening in the scrap yeah. of flow and flow. One of the first things we have to do <laughs> with independence is um, basically nationalise 
uh, Four Ports and Clydeport. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. we've got no, we've yeah. got no major harbours. That was one of the first so things that Estonia these guys did. Guys have to go, and yeah. free ports have to go with them. Hopefully, yeah. they'll never get them established. Yes, that's fingers crossed that that's true. Actually, because uh, you know it's easier to stop something kind of just in the planning stage than it is if it actually had you know if independence takes longer than I would like. But uh, they're actually there and running. That's a bit more difficult to stop. If anybody would like to know more about the plans for Orkney's Harbour and Scapa Flow Flotter, then have a look on YouTube and search for Orkney Renewable Energy Forum, or OREF. The most recent meeting is fascinating. It's also got information about the the plans for the Scotwind, where that's going to be deployed. Um, if you'd like to watch the whole thing, have a look for it on YouTube. If you want to watch just the highlights of that, I'll put a clip, probably about five or six minutes worth, onto our Indie Pod Extra YouTube channel. You know, huge natural harbour that could um, hopefully be used in some of the ways that, you know, Alf and Mike and Geordie were, were, were talking about. Yeah, huge, huge potential. You know, they're not saying we can only do this if we get a Freeport bid. They're saying this is what we're going to do. And it's, I think it's really, yeah. really exciting seeing yeah. the, you know, the drive that they've got. So do you feel you know a bit more about Freeport? Yeah, well, yes, I do. Undoubtedly, I know more because that's not a high bar to have passed because I didn't know anything. <laughs> but I do know more. But I'm, I think I also, I just appreciate that the complexity of it. I mean, I, mm. I, I do genuinely appreciate that the Scottish government has tried hard to work out ways and to, to make them as acceptable as possible. But I'm not sure that they're going to be able to do it because it is so complicated but it's certainly going to be something to keep an, an eye on as we you know the next sort of couple of years as these um, two new free ports get underway absolutely and it might be that they're a short-lived thing yeah it might certainly be. last time they didn't last that long lots of different views we probably will come back to this um at some point as things develop a bit more actually as, as you say Marlene. i found a few um articles uh, by various people just more it's just more information about about the background to freeports and the scottish um, uh, government approach to it so i'm going to put those on the blog if people want to have a look at oh, that we do regularly mention our blogs so but hopefully everybody knows we do have one and where to find it and if you sign up to our mailing list you'll get links sent out to you every month as well yep. of what's on the blog so it'll plug for that don't forget we've got a podcast every friday and we'll catch you later yeah bye, bye. thanks for listening everybody hope you enjoyed the pirate music there that was from silverman sound studios and it's called the buccaneers hall it seemed appropriate in a chat about freeports we'll be back next week with bits and pieces for march in the meantime if you'd like to watch the video version of this show you'll get it on independence live's youtube channel or in the playlist on the scottish independence podcast youtube channel and you can drop into the community tab if you want to leave us any comments that would be lovely Bye now.